God is working. And we're going to talk and just reveal how God is working and keeps working. One of the things that we don't always grasp is that God has a desire for the human race. God wants us to have a good life. God wants us to do well. He wants us to enjoy happiness. He, he didn't create all of this for us to be dragging our knuckles around the ground, to be moping, to be unhappy. He didn't create all this for us to be in poverty or hunger or sickness or that. He created something which was meant to be enjoyed. And he continues the offer to all humanity through the power of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus Christ died and sacrificed himself to make this, uh, this experience available to all of us, this offer is still here today. And even though the human race has sort of uh, broken down a lot of the working areas, particularly socially and morally, we've, we've just seen recently, we've just voted in another uh, uh, legalising of something which God said would bring failure to a community over a longer period of time. And uh, we just don't seem to learn. But we're also reminded from the scripture that hu the human race won't learn. At some point, it's over. Uh, God likens through the Bible the time of Noah when in the end the flood came because the only way to fix it was to start again. And the Lord warns us that the only way to fix the human race is to start again. This time won't be by water, this time will be by fire. And he talks about a day coming when all of the uh, humanity will be wiped off the earth except for a, a, a small group, not favoured group, it'll be per chance for the group, and uh, so he can start again with the plans he's got so that all the corruptions which are on the earth which he will destroy will be removed and it won't start again. So that's a sort of a simple awareness of what God's saying and because if we don't believe in God, well, we're wasting our time being here anyway. If we don't believe in God, we're wasting our time thinking about whether we have a future because if there's no God, as soon as you die, it's all over and there's nothing anyway. If you're the product of evolution, then it means your life is meaningless your children are meaningless. Everything which you love and hold dear is absolutely meaningless. If you're an accident, a freak of nature, it means everything is purely meaningless. But God says, no, no, I designed you. I have a plan for you, the world. It's not an accident, it's here. And we're going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about how to find God that works rather than how to find religion. And as I said earlier, God's desire for humanity is that they have a good life. And the things that we present as a fellowship, the things we talk about, we have uh, teens camp, we have kids camp, we do Bible class, we do Christ, we do a whole host of these things. They're all set up to give the people in this city who come here the best chance to have a good life, the best chance to be happy, the best chance to be able to be blessed by the things of the Lord. Everything we do is about giving you the best opportunity but if you're going to understand what it is to have a good opportunity, then you've got to understand the will of God. You've got to understand how he works. Otherwise, it just becomes like a club. So we come here and we do this and we do that like you might in a club. And sometimes when you're part of a club, you have a different level of respect as opposed to what you would have for the Lord. So in the end, when you're in a club, you don't like this, you don't like that, this is no good, that doesn't work, and oh yeah, that's not too bad, and I don't like this person, I don't like that person, but oh, they're good. Uh, no, that's not how the church works. That's how clubs work. The church is different. And this is why God talks in terms of how to respect the church, how to develop your life, how to view uh, his people and his fellowship from a spiritual set of eyes as opposed 
to perhaps something just less spiritual and far more worldly. So I'd like to go through a couple of scriptures and the motivation of God to give you a good life. And uh, again, at uh, the teens camp, we spoke to them and uh, we had uh, 45 or 50 or so, whatever it was, gathered and they orchestrate their own prayer meetings and get involved, which is really good and uh, Pastor Arthur has a fair bit to do uh, with Val and the others at the camp towards having something set up which they can take benefit and blessing from. The camp is not what we want to do, it's what God wants done and we do it in a way which is workable. And we found it with teenagers, if you feed them, everything is workable. Okay? And we found that the people who look after them, the uh, people who teach them and care for them, if you feed them, it makes them happy too. It's amazing. It's a simple process. But the idea is we want God to feed them. That's what we're there for, for God to feed these people with spiritual blessing. And that's what we do. And this is what hopefully uh, as we go through these things we're going to do today. Allow the Lord to feed your soul. The promise and evidence that the Lord spoke about, there's one very simple yet powerful verse which puts this in a nutshell. And I'd like to read that now. It's in Acts 1 verse 8. This is in your Bible and it's part of, a lot of people here, it's part of your testimony. I know we have several folk here today who this might be their first meeting in a revival fellowship, but I'd like to let you know that we talk about what God is doing, not about the theory or the doctrine of the Bible. We don't go into terms of philosophical debate because we deal with what God is actually doing in our life, not the theory of what might be. We deal with things which handle your sicknesses if you're sick. We deal with things which handle pressure. And uh, for some people, sadly, there's depression. It's gaining ground in this world. A lot of people don't know how to find happiness anymore and they're struggling. The Bible gives us insight into these things. But there's a greater need which humanity faces. And the simple question is, once your time in this body is over, what opportunity are you going to have again? And God said, there's no opportunity unless you forward my spirit. If you don't receive my spirit, then the Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's how simple it is. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's God's words. And it's pretty straightforward. So we're people who want to show people how God said he can deliver us out of this problem and give us something to work with. And uh, when you go into a hospital, and I, I remember when my father was there, they said, look, we can't do any more for him. Medically, they'd run out of everything possible. And sadly for our family, my father didn't really want to have much to do with God's options. He just couldn't get his head around it. He'd spent all of his life being strong in who he was and didn't allow the Lord to be strong in who he was. And when they said, we can't do any more for you, he had nothing left. His time ran out. I'd like to say to you, while we have time, there's plenty of things that can happen for us and we're going to talk about them. Plenty of things that can happen for us, plenty of things for us to share. Acts eight says, this is a summary of probably the most powerful parts of this age we live in. He said, but ye shall receive power. For those who are a little bit interested, the word power there can be translated in one sense as authority in the English or it can be translated as supernatural ability if it's from God. And on this occasion, the word used to be power is actually the miracle working ability that God has. You shall receive the ability, the power in you for miracles to happen. But when will this happen? He says, ye shall receive power after 
that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when the Holy Ghost comes upon us as it did here, the people received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and all the people are looking around saying, how can these people be speaking a language they've never learnt? And some of the people heard them speaking and are going, I know that language. That's our home village. That, that's what they say in their village. How can these people who have never been to our village, who are a, a different class of people, how can they be speaking these languages? And they said, and not only are they speaking language, they're magnifying. In other words, they're, they're speaking things which were uplifting and edifying of godly nature. How can they be doing this? And there are 120 people, as the Bible tells us, in the room, and every one of them was speaking in a language, and many, many people came, and they, because this was a spectacular event, they gathered around saying, what's this? What, and uh, how is it? And several of them heard languages which were native to where they came from. And when they gathered uh, in Jerusalem, of course, they would have a common language of the day, which more than likely would have been uh, the Greek language, and some of them probably would have spoke Aramaic or whatever. But they had a common language, but then they had their language they left at home. And it's a bit like some of the Papua New Guineans who come here. you sort of got pidgin, which is their general language, when they're together, but they also have a, a village language. And uh, keep in mind that one-third of all the world's languages are spoken in New Guinea. Nearly 2,000 languages, I think it's somewhere between 17 and 19. You can Google it. That's why I put a bit in between, because I don't always know the exact numbers, because you Google it three times, get three different answers. But all that aside, it's getting towards 2,000 languages are spoken natively in New Guinea. So can you imagine them coming here and uh, one of the perhaps white brothers or sisters is praying in the spirit and say, hey, Mount Harkin, that's our native language. How can this be? How can they speak something that even our grandfathers are having trouble getting the others to learn? How can this be? So what did uh, Peter do? He expressed and he explained to them what this all meant. He said, this is the Holy Spirit which you were told would be poured out. This is that which was promised. And they went on and described what the prophets had said and some of the prophecies relating to the outpouring of the Spirit and the events. And this little verse here simply says what happened, maybe from Acts 10, uh, sorry, Acts 1, right through to Acts 11 of the Spirit coming firstly, then being poured out, then the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. That was the people non-native to Israel, also meaning the rest of the world, it was now available, you've got 10 or 11 chapters of expression of God working in the lives of people and the method by which he worked. And this is summarised, this one verse actually summarises all of those events in one principle. He said, you shall receive power after Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses, in other words, speakers of the truth identifiers of the miracles, presenters of the facts, unto me, who was me, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the living word, you'll be an example unto me in Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, which was a land of sort of half foreign, half this, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said the power of God would be working all around the world now. What you are seeing here which they said on the day of Pentecost, this is that which is coming. Now, we have moved forward in time from the day of Pentecost getting towards 2,000 years. The 2,000-year mark will come somewhere around 2030, give or take a year or two with the, some of the short errors in the calendar. And here we are now getting towards 2,000 years later, 
we tell people what Peter said. We share what Peter said. Why? Because when people listen to this and we get them baptized and we pray, you know what happens? They speak in a language just like they did then. They're aware that the power of God has come in them. Many people are healed in their body of something or whatever almost instantly. Others will have things which I'll pray for another day. And this is how God works. When we were over in Nepal a little while ago, we had many villages, particularly in a place called Nepal Gunj, which is right down on the Indian border, right over on the western area, the western three quarters of uh, uh, Nepal. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think Nepal and they see the snow and the Sherpas and all that. No, no, no. Think India, think desert, think tigers, think crocodiles, think hippopotamus, and you're wrong if you think hippopotamus, think rhinoceros. Uh, yeah, there's no hippos there. And, uh, and that's the country. And it's a dry, dusty place in summer. And there's lots of smog in the air and there's lots of uh, dirt. It's just not a healthy place to be in many ways. And we went to a place like that and we, I read the scripture and I read Acts 2 where it gave the definition and we simply asked the question, who here would like to receive the Holy Spirit? And we had 25 or 30 people came forward and uh, Brother Ty and myself and the pastor there uh, and some of the others who were with us, Brother David, we uh, laid hands upon these people. Do you know what happened? 20 of them received the Holy Spirit and spoke in languages. 20 of them received God's power. Many were healed. There were many blessings. And this is what God did. Why did he do this? Because God is working. But he only works when you start telling how he works, not... And this is not our church's invention, this is God's invention. I can't come up with a recipe and say, look, Lord, this is the doctrine I'm going to come up with. Would you please work in with us? Who are we to give God a doctrine? God's got the doctrine. It's up to us to tap into what he says so we can actually do what he promises. So God is working and that's exactly uh, what he says and that's what he does. But there, once you receive the Holy Spirit, once you're sort of thinking about these things, there's actually a, a, an attitude that has to go with it. If you want God working in your life, if you want a better life, you've actually got to make some changes in your life. You've got to start thinking principally different than what you used to do because what you used to think and do is where, why where you are. And if you're not a happy person and maybe you've had a marriage or two fall over and your kids are a bit hard to deal with or you've got a variety of other, who knows what problems, you're there because God's not part of your life. But God can be part of your life and he can change that or protect you when these things are happening so that they don't break you down, so they don't destroy you, so you can get past them. And that attitude needs to be developed. 1 John 3, verse 18, we'll have a look at that verse. Again, a very simple and powerful truth. The scriptural references I'm reading from here, uh, they will be available in note form, just on the top of the little black speaker box here after the meeting. You feel free to come down. But uh, there'll be a few I don't get to, but I'd like to read some of these very powerful yet simple truths. And these things are the things that are being taught to our children. Our kids in Bible class and Sunday school, these are the things they're hearing why? Because we as their parents or grandparents, we live this life. We know how it is to get God to work because we simply say, well, if God said it in a simple and balanced way, not sort of grabbing scriptures and taking them out of, uh, in isolation, out of context, we, we work them according to the running of the Bible. So if God says this and this and this and this is what happened, well, that's what happens. 
And because we talk like this, what happens? God works. God is working where the principles are applied. So this is why we talk about if God said he is working and he is working, we do have evidence, we do have testimony, then let's look at the little basics which make everything possible. He says here in 1 John 3 verse 18, and this is a bit of a reference, there's not a lot going to happen in your life. Spiritually, even if you receive the Spirit, all right, that's a good start, but there's not going to be a lot happen unless you get the principle right. Now, you might remember they did a study on all the people in England who won the pearls. I think they did 200 people who had won the pearls and only four of them were happy. Only four of the people were happy. So many of them wished they'd never won the money. Nearly all of the people had won the, mar- the money there whatever romantic relationship they had had ended. Every person who had ever been a friend or a family member come out of the woodwork to hit them up for a loan or whatever, 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 and it wasn't good for them. And uh, that was just a simple reminder that the things that you think you're striving for which are going to bring you the joy of life. And there's people sitting here going, oh, if I had a million dollars, it would be different for me. We think like that because we believe we're better than everyone else when it comes to what will make us happy. We believe we know more than God because this will make us happy. And all these people thought that if they had large sums of money, their life would improve. And they all got large sums of money. That's what happens when you win the pearls. And very few of them actually had a good life, which means that they were mistaken. And it also means that when we read these principles, if you think that... Yes, the Lord said it, but I actually have a a different way to live because I'm not like them. I can actually cope with all these things. I have a better way or another way. God's saying to you, you don't have any way at all if you don't have my way. That's the spiritual rule. So these verses come out. He said, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. In simple reality, God will only work in you when you put him first when you actually put the Lord in the proper perspective. The Lord doesn't work outside that, but see, you can read your Bible as you can read any historical work and you can read it and say, I agree with that. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that God created humanity and I believe that Jesus Christ loves me and I believe that there is a church. I believe there's a Holy Spirit. I believe in speaking in tongues. But saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe anything you like. I can tell you now, Satan believes all that too. Okay, Satan believes every one of God's words because he's seen it as the truth. But believing it is not living it. And the word love is used because love means you're actually living what you believe as opposed to agreeing with what you believe. While we are all agreeers of the truth and the power and the other blessings that God brings, We are not contributing to the working of the Holy Spirit. We only contribute when we start applying God's way, and that's called love. God's love isn't about feeling good. It's actually about doing good. So, And look, you can feel good with God's love, but quite amazingly, a lot of people didn't feel all that good while they were being loved by doing the word of God. How do you think Paul felt when he was bobbing around in the ocean after his ship went down for the third time? How do you think Paul got anyone, hey Brad, I'm going over to Crete, would you like to come? I'll fly, you go by ship. 
I'm not going with you. You've, you've got a track record of swimming a lot. I've, I'll go the other way. How many times when you look at these things would you think, well, feeling good and love aren't necessarily on the same page? But of course, we're talking at levels where people have sacrificed so much of their life to be able to present the truth and the power of God. And there was an expectation that there would be conflict simply in that sacrifice and the, the way we operate. But for the average person in the church who isn't called or isn't responsible for actually trailblazing and setting up things with lots of hostility, the Lord simply says, guys, don't just love in word or tongue. Actually, start doing something. Be part of something and I can bless that. So God works in us when we put the Holy Spirit to work. If we don't put the Holy Spirit to work, there will be no blessing. And somewhere along the line we'll get disappointed and somewhere along the line we could even give up despite the fact that we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the evidence of speaking in tongues, we've got all the prophecy of the Bible falling in us now around our ears with the world, both politically, militarily, uh, economically, and there's so many things we could go through. This is happening, but in the end you get, la, 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 who cares, who cares, who cares? Let's go to the movies, there must be something good on. You might remember that cartoon came out a little while where uh, sort of, Mum and, and uh, a Papa sitting there watching TV and the news comes on. World War Three has just begun. The cities of the world are being destroyed and Mum says, change the channel, there might be something better somewhere else. That's humanity. You talk about God, they say, let's change the channel. I don't want to hear this because I, I want to hear something good, meaning I want to hear something which tickles my fancy rather than something which is meaningful and powerful that can actually change my life. And that's why there's so many people in the world whose lives aren't working well because the type of advice they follow isn't the advice to bring success. It's the advice that brings short-term pleasure and everyone knows that short-term goals always fail in the long term. Salvation is a long-term goal, not a short-term goal. Every plan you make which has a short life to it will always fail long-term. Reality. Anyway, so we have a couple of verses now and so... The principle, let's get back to the principle, God is working. This is what God wants. He wants you to be joyous. He wants you to be happy. But at the same time, if he wants the person in the house up the road to be happy and full of power, how in the world is the person in the house over the road going to do this if they don't know who God is? How are they going to think and act and pray and be baptized and have the spirit if they don't know it's required? So God says to people like us, well, I'm going to send you into this world equally and as you go about your life, I want you to start sharing with people and some people are really good at talking and others are shy and reserved and whatever, but according to what you're able to do and the opportunity to pray to God and say, Lord, I want to be used more, just lift my ability, the Lord depends on us to share this message. I came here and I met this fellowship because back in 1967, a young man who was a good friend of mine said, Brad, how would you like to come to church today? I went. Didn't witness to me, didn't share about God, didn't share about testimony. I went because I was bored out of my brain. I had nothing to do. And it was just one of those very rare weekends where I had nothing to do. So I thought, yep, yeah, I'll go and change my life. I would not be here today if that hadn't have happened. The guy wasn't a good witnesser. I doubt if he could have found a scripture in his Bible if his life depended on it, but he knew how to talk about God to people. And that's why I say to people like yourselves, a simple invitation can be worth a lot more 
than a scriptural rendition of A to Z of the Bible. You share with people what God has done for you. Share with people whatever way you can, the best way you can. God will work with that because that's what he's good at. He's good with working with people who start putting him first. And that's why the Lord said, but look, if you're going to serve me, deed and truth, that's how it works. Action, not just words. Let's go to another verse. We find here um, John twelve twenty four, And again, sort of along the lines, it sort of moves a little bit, another cog into maturity of being a spiritual person. Just a little bit more, the last one sort of was an outward appreciation of a principle that works. Now we're going to be just a slight bit more defined about something that works, uh, something you, you can really think about and apply it to yourself. He said, and he's talking about us being able to bring forward fruit, and he's talking about spiritual fruit. And of course, with the coming of spiritual fruit, meaning things which God is able to bless and multiply, with spiritual blessing comes natural blessing. With spiritual blessing comes health and a whole variety of other works and, and benefits. John twelve twenty four, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it will bring forth much fruit. So this parable which Jesus spoke just grabs hold of something that every rural community around the world would understand, and that is part of the life cycle of seed or grain, which is a staple of food. And he said, if you get a grain of seed, if you just have that grain of seed on its own, it will always be a grain of seed, but it will never achieve anything. But if that grain of seed dies, meaning if it's planted, and that seed changes its composition, and roots spring down, the plant comes up, it will then bring forward a hundred more seeds, not just itself. So God uses this analogy for us to look at ourselves and we're just a sort of a stand-back moment for people who are spirit-filled and for those who want to be spirit-filled to say, this is what God actually expects from me. He wants to give me a good life, but how can he give me a good life if I keep making choices which don't allow a good life to happen? If he wants me to be healthy and spiritually alive, if he wants me to be able to take hold of uh, blessings and healings and other things when needs arise, how can he position me to be in that position if I won't take direction or if I make the mistake? And the mistake, of course, here is this part of this metaphor, is that if it, your life is only about you and not much else, then you're not going to die in the sense of giving yourself over for the Lord's sake. So you'll always be you. You can be spirit-filled but still be you and not make any endeavour in any spirit, spiritual arena for anything to happen. So this is what the Lord says. So the simple combination of, all right, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in tongues, you'll have signs, miracles and wonders work, but there's something which will keep it working, otherwise it's going to drop away from you and you'll have other things will come in and take interest in your life and all of a sudden all this will be just part of a sad history that might have once happened in your life. So I said, I'll show you a way of maintaining what you have. And uh, look, when we get married, we want the marriage to uh, last as long as we do. So we find ways and marriages just don't happen. Marriages just don't last. You've actually got to work at them. You've got to do things that work. And unless both of you are at work, then that marriage can fall over. 
Now, the good thing with God by using this preface of this metaphor of this principle is that God in us will never default. God will never change his mind. So whether we have a successful relationship with God isn't based on something which is out of our control, which might be, say, in a marriage. We can't control our partner as much as we would like to and as much as you think you can, some of you. You can't. They will make their choices. So happily for most of us, our partners in the Lord work together with us and we have a great life spiritually. And that's a wonderful blessing. But... When it comes to our relationship with God, we don't have to worry or wonder whether he will maintain his promises. He simply says, hey, I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't trick you, I will always be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You come to me, I'm here. So with that in mind, he starts talking along these lines. And if you're just you, like this metaphor of the single seed, if you want to be blessed and if you want to actually give God a return of the investment he's put in you and actually multiply your happiness and your joy. He said here, um, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it will bring forward much fruit. Herein, here in this principle, my fa- is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. This is how it's going to work. How does our fellowship work? How is God able to continually fill people with signs, miracles and wonders? Because people believe this and many of our folk go past just talking about God. They go past just agreeing with the Bible and they invest time and energy and prayer into doing the will of God as opposed to agreeing with the will of God. That's a big difference. And this is why the Lord said, it's there not to hear her, but to do her. And it's not an insult, it's simply just a law of the spirit. It's just the reality. It's like saying, if you drive down the car, uh, you down the road in your car with your hands off the steering wheel, I can tell you now you will not get home. If you steer your car, you've got a far better chance of getting there. And so our Lord, our Lord says to us, if you want to steer your walk in the Lord, you'll get to your destination. If your hands are off the wheel, you'll get nothing. Somewhere along the line, you'll have a catastrophe and it'll be over for you. And that's what he's trying to encourage us. So it it gets to a stage where you ask a question. And this is something I ask myself all the time because you need to keep check. You might see, um, you know, we follow the the, uh, rugby, we follow footy, we follow cricket, we follow... What, What do all those sports people do for training? They get into the nets and they just bowl and bowl and bowl. They do the same thing over and over and over again. Then they have catching practice. So they stand out there while someone whacks the ball around and, hey, there's no prizes. It's not like they're in a match. They just stand there catching, catching, diving, running. Then in the rugby field, they're out there and they're pushing the steel frames with the body weight on them and practice, 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 practice. Then all of a sudden the game's on. But because they've done all this practice, when they put their their heart into what they're practicing for, they are physically and emotionally strong enough to succeed at what they do. And the Lord likens our life in the Lord to that. So things like prayer, things like fellowship, things like uh, reading your Bible, things like sharing your testimony, they are the practice that we do that gives us the fitness that when an event arises where we're called upon, we can actually do it. 
Otherwise, we will be a non-performer. And God says, don't be sick, don't be weak, be strong. He said, hey, you want a good life? I want to give it to you. I want to give you a good life better than you actually want it. This is how we're going to do it. But a lot of times our heart and mind are somewhere else. So here's a good uh, exercise for you in your mind. Think about this. What actually gives you the most joy in your life? The personal benefits, God God has done this for me and God has done that. It's just about this sort of inclusion, this private inclusion. Or do you really rejoice in the fact that God has worked in your friends, God's worked in your family? We rejoice because we've got people here today who have never been in this church and we rejoice because God has been able to do something for them. Now, this is where the Lord wanted us to do this comparison, not to condemn us, not to judge us, not to make us feel guilty, but simply say, hey, that's true. Maybe I've been a single seed too long. Maybe that's the background of my thinking, even though we do all things for the Lord. The reality is, unless you actually die to self and start saying, all right, Lord, not my will but yours, then a lot of the growth and blessing that I really would love to happen is never going to happen, never going to happen in this lifetime. So the Lord says, make changes. I'll be with you. I want you to have a better life. And he says these things and you think, well, what do we come to the church for? What do we want to see? Do we want to have a, a meeting where we hear things that we agree with? Do we want to come along and have the odd baptism and see the odd person receive and maybe have the odd healing testimony? That's single seed. That seed's never been in the ground. That seed's just sitting there doing nothing. But why? Because it's all about what you want, what you believe, how you feel, what you would like. But if you yield over, you start saying, hey, God is actually working. We have the gifts of the Spirit in our church. When we finish the talk and we've done the communion, we actually have nine occasions where God will speak to us in the way that the gifts lay out in the Scriptures. God is here in this. We hear it all the time. We have, if you're looking as a seed that's in the ground as opposed to a seed which is focused on self, we have new people nearly every meeting. That should be a sense of rejoicing. Praise God. When you're dead to yourself, you see that and you thank God. When you're not dead to yourself, it's, oh, yeah, um, I'll, you know, I'm a bit late for dinner. I've got to get out of here. Someone else will talk to him. This is the way you think. That's not God's way. That's the way where you're saying, whatever blessing you got for me, Lord, hold it till I'm ready. Lord's going, I can't hold it. You either take it or it's gone. And that's how it works. We see testimonies and blessings in Nepal. We went through all the things the Lord was doing over there. Is that enough? We see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit here. We see much fruit happening here. We see people growing. We see the joy of fellowship. We've, all these things are happening. But how can you rejoice in what the Lord's doing if you struggle to barely make one meeting a week? So your seed's not in the dirt. Your seed's on the top. Hasn't grown wings yet. Hasn't done what it needs to. Not in the sense of a rebuke. Just simply it's impossible for God to do any more if that's all that's happening. Now, if you keep all your wheat in the silo, it will never grow. Unless it's put in the ground, planted properly, it will never grow. And if you keep all your thoughts and all your ideals and all your aspirations and all your agreements about spiritual things, if they're kept in the silo of your thinking and they never get planted and put into practice, then nothing will ever spring forward. And as the Lord said here, um, those who do it, they bear much fruit. It just simply means you're never going to bear fruit. You'll never bear fruit. And when you're not bearing fruit, when you know all these things, it becomes hard. 
you look at yourself and, you know, I, I do this all the time. You look at yourself and you say, Lord, can I do things better? Have I missed something? And it's not about judging yourself and condemning yourself. It's, it's not that type of looking. It's about self-awareness. It's about preventative maintenance. Like you take your car to the mechanic and uh, hopefully they'll just go over it and if something needs doing, yep, do it. I want a car that's safe. I want a car that's reliable. And I want a life in the Lord that's reliable and safe as well. So I keep checking things over to make sure that spiritually I'm roadworthy. And that's all the Lord says to us. And we don't all have to be gung-ho evangelists. We don't have to all be people who are extroverted in personality and type and deed. Uh, we can be very quiet, we can be very timid, and we can be very unassuming, and the Lord will still raise you up and make your life a wonderful life. But you've got to get yourself to a position where you yield from who you are and what you believe and what you think into something where the Lord says, this is what I want you to do then the Lord will bring life into that. Now, I'd like to just give um, last scripture. This is the parable of the sower, of the seed, Mark 4, and verse 18. Parable of the seed, you can, I've got it on the notes, you can read about it, but the, this is the important one, I guess, for the fellowship. It talks about the seed that falls on the ground and the birds come to the air and just eat it before it even... And it's metaphoric again, as all these parables are, to simply someone who hears the word of God doesn't do anything. Before they get a chance to, to repent or be baptised or walk in the spirit, the world takes them over and they're busy out with their job. Or It's amazing how when people get baptised, all of a sudden a boyfriend they've never met for 30 years turns up the next day to take their interest just amazing. Or a job comes along because they, they've wanted work for so long and a job just happens to be in the hours that all the meetings are in. And this is how God shut, uh, this is how Satan shuts people down. He just puts roadblocks there and takes it away. Well, the, the ground where the seed falls and the fowls of the air come, that's metaphoric for just the things which will take you away from truth. Then he goes on to the seed which fell in the shallow ground or the rocky ground, there wasn't much depth, and it says, you know, it springs up like people, the metaphors, people receive the Spirit, and it's praise God, praise this, but because there's no depth in them, because they don't make the necessary stand, and because there's that much in the ground which is hard, which the roots can't form, in other words, they don't change their composition of their life. The metaphor we read is about you have a choice of which soil you are, so the seed God puts in you can grow to its betterment. You've got the choice of what type of seed you are and what sort of ground you are uh, as a result of that choice. So he said, if, if you leave too much in your life, which is not godly, you'll find, and I, I'm not talking about sin, I'm just simply saying things which keep you occupied in areas outside of spiritual responsibility and duty. He said, if you keep them in your life at some point, the roots have got nowhere to go. So you'll get so high, then like you see sometimes trees, they just die tree in the garden is just dead for no reason. Every other tree is alive. But when you dig down quite often, you'll find that there's a big rock or a cement slab under the ground or they just run out of room to develop and they, they fall over. Or the water supply is not there or something similar. And the Lord goes on to talk about those who are in reasonably good ground, but the thistles grow and the weeds grow and they get choked out. And he refers this to the latter stages that people have been in the Lord perhaps for decades this is not sort of a newer person's problem. This is an established person's problem. I like to read it because it's vital. 
because we're an older church with many of us having been in the Lord for several decades and at the same time we've got a whole variety of new people who have never been in the Lord for much more than a year or two. They're looking at the old hands to see what to do so they can last as long as you. My question would be, obviously, will they last as long as me or you if they live the life you're currently living now? The answers for some horribly would be they have no hope at all of surviving if they live their life like I live mine now because they won't make it. There's just not enough spiritual input that's observable that they could imitate. And this is why the Lord asked the question, the thorns and the, uh, the weeds, they choke us out. And verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in. See, they weren't there once, but they enter in, meaning this happens after you're walking in the Lord. This happens after you've developed, after you've got a good active life. These things enter in. What do they do? They choke the word. The word's already there, but they then choke it. And it becometh, what? Unfruitful. That means it was fruitful. You can't become unfruitful unless you, what? Were fruitful. So it becometh unfruitful. So these are people who are on fire for the Lord, doing lots of things, but at some point they just sort of slow down, spiritually slow down, and all of a sudden it's this and that and the other, and no longer is the Lord able to work with them. Why did the Lord write this? He didn't write it to have a go at people. He wrote it because, remember, what did you want in the first place? You wanted a good life. You wanted to live forever. You wanted to be spiritually blessed. Yeah? You wanted something worth having, something you could share with your family, something maybe a mother or father or grandparents or grandchildren or something, something that you could give them so you could live together forever for the rest of time. Something gets in the way. This is why the Lord talks about it. Something stops that process. He said, it's not like that. You've got to change your cycle. Stop that position and move on. Verse 20, the ones that overcome. These are they which are sown in good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit. Now that was the verse before. The ones choked out by weeds. Exactly the same, they were there. But on this occasion, they don't allow the other things to interrupt their walk in the Lord. They don't allow anything in life to challenge the good that they've got and they keep working. And he said, as a result, they bring forward some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. This is the type of choice which all of us face every day in one way or another. What do we want to do? If you're a good seed, which you are if you hear the word of God, all those who believe God and understand the concept of salvation, you're good seed. You've got an opportunity. If you've not sprung forth yet in a sense, if you've not received the Spirit, you can be baptised today. We can pray with you today. You can receive the Holy Spirit. You'll speak in tongues. They all do. We all do. That's how God works. God is working and he's still doing that now. You'll find healing and blessing today in all these things. That's God's promise. But the Lord goes on to express these different parts of our development of Spirit-filled people and only we can answer the rest of it. When you look in the mirror, do you see rocky ground? When you look in the mirror, do you see weeds and riches and deceit? When you look in the mirror, do you say, praise God, whatever it takes, I'm serving him? He just simply says, do that. And he's not talking about people being fanatically spiritual. He's talking about people who might have very low ability, very little talent, equally as much as those with much. And he's just simply saying, guys, 
whoever you are, whatever your position, whatever your education, whatever your age, whatever your health, he said, you ask me to bless you, I will use you. I will do this for you because I work in my people. And that's why I said, why don't you pray to use the gifts? Why don't you pray to do this, pray that? Why don't you seek out those who are lost and try and bring them to the fellowship? Why don't you do this? Why don't you talk to your neighbour? All this is part of what God wants us to do. And just summarising that, remember, you can't ever go back to the Lord and say, oh, Lord, it's a shame that I'm just a rocky ground person. No, 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 you're not a rocky ground person. You're a good ground person who has chosen rocky ground. Not you were, were rocky ground, you've chosen rocky ground. You've chosen to let the thistles grow. You've chosen, or perhaps you might be someone, oh, this, all this religious guff, I've had enough. You might leave today never choosing to receive the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord said, the fowls are there, come, and they steal away the promise of eternal life, and it will never be their future to be part of the good ground. This is what the Lord, this is our message, all the people said. Do we believe this? Of course we do. Do we speak this? Of course we do. And it's not a time now to go, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to improve that. Oh, woe is me. I shouldn't have had that. I shouldn't have stolen my wife's chocolate and ate it and blamed it on the dog. I, sh- I just shouldn't have done it. And of course, the dog blames me as he does. Anyway, that's another story. Our choice is what's our next step? We go into communion. Communion's a time where you look at yourself and just look in the mirror and say, yes, Lord. I want to walk in the Spirit. We reaffirm with the Lord, this is our, our life choice. And if our life choices haven't been good, we change them. And if they've been good, we want to keep doing. But there again, if your life choices are good, when the time of communion comes, you don't look in the mirror and say, what am I going to do? You look in other people's mirrors and say, Lord, who can I help? Why do you say, who can I help? Because you don't need help. You're already on that page. You're already dead to yourself. You're already seen and for many of our officers and other people who've got their hand on the plough, when the time of communion comes, they're just thinking and praying about other people who need blessing. And all the people said, the choice is yours, which is always good because it means we cannot blame anyone else for the position we're in. 